0: Hello, hello, this is Axis, popping in for one quick second before the episode starts. Just a little caveat, we actually recorded this episode back in June, and I wanted to let you know just so that when you hear me mention things like Pride Month or we talk about current events, just know that we are not that behind the times. But Mona and I both really liked this episode and wanted to make sure that it got posted anyway, so with that being said, sit back and enjoy, and I'll be right back.
1: Uh, I'm Mooner. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, and I'm Maxis.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's been fun. June is, of course, a month of pride, and I am very prideful of all the young people who are marching out there, uh, especially the ones who are observing, you know, safety restrictions. Yeah. And-
0: yeah, absolutely. It's such a. I mean, it's a time where, like, <laughs> every time you turn on the news, it's either. News about protesting or I mean and the kind of movement that's going on, or it's news about covid, and the two of those happening at the same time is so worrying and I'm just yeah,
1: mhm we have a disaster bingo, my friend has a disaster bingo sheet right there it's like what's next month is it going to be i
0: mean we've got yeah we've got locusts and bird flu first, but Godzilla clearly is next on the horizon yeah
1: today there was a there was a, um, there was a magnitude 7.4 oh.
0: earthquake.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, oh, things Jesus are still going humming along.
0: 2020, you know,
1: man! Over. <laughs> yeah. 2020. <laughs> yeah, they weren't fucking around when they said oh, those 20s yeah. roar. They're,
0: they're fucking <laughs> roaring. <laughs> Shit,
1: like, right out of the gate, we got it.
0: Yeah. Um, but with, with that being said, obviously, so. uh, we just want to make very clear that we, to- at least... I would say I totally support Black Lives Matter. I believe you do too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, shouldn't be... What do you
1: mean we? Yeah, it's like we, and then it's like, well, maybe just me. No, we (laughs) both support Black Lives Lives Matter. Matter. We're both very adamant supporters of Black Lives Matter. Black Black women matter, matter. Black
0: trans lives matter. It's a time when those should not be controversial statements, but unfortunately they are. Um, Yeah, and, you know, I... I don't, I clearly think we are not the place for you to get the, get the news, but, you know, I think we can definitely point you in the direction of some references. I can talk about some stuff that's been helping me out right now. Um, did you have something you want to say?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think, I think everybody has said everything that possibly can have been yeah. said. I, I think that there, I do sort of side with the people that do say that. Horror is political Mm -hmm. um, because its nature is that it pushes buttons. And, I mean, all art is meant to be insightful. It's meant to make people reflect. And more often than not, artists have been on the receiving side of uh, persecution and criticism (laughs) and other things. So it's kind of just one of those things where, yeah, you know, not to push too many people away, but, you know, uh, equality is a good thing. And that's actually Mm -hmm. what this really comes down to at the end of the day. It's about equality. And it's about going out to the street at night, not having to be afraid for your life. And, you know, mm-hmm. you should definitely, you know, as a rule, when society is more scary than the, the worst imagination of a human on a movie screen, there's probably a fucking problem with society. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of shit going on in a lot of different places. I'm like I'm personally lucky enough to be in a place where there's not a lot of impact right now because I live in the middle of the woods but I mean there's there's a lot of stuff involved in that too I am largely you know not seeing the fallout in my area because I live in one of the whitest parts of the country um Mm -hmm. so I don't really have the the kind of direct action happening here, but there are reasons that we're the whitest part of the country as well. Right. But um, there were
1: still people coming out in Ellsworth shouting yeah, their, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so people giving it's, their support. That's the other, that's nice. the really, that's the positive thing. Yeah, positive exactly. Thing it's been really
0: experience. inspiring seeing these people come out in places you wouldn't expect. Like, there have been marches here. There have been protests and support. Um, and it's been really beautiful to see that come out it's really rough that it had to come out in these circumstances
1: even in even in Ellsworth City Hall they were actually still saying like there's going to be protests we heard that there's going to be people who want to incite you know trouble Mm -hmm. with the protesters and even the chief of police was like yeah by the way we're ready for you if you want to come and start some shit in this town that was actually really amazing like we're going to protect the protesters one way or the other so it actually gave me a lot of hope yeah
0: I don't know I have mixed feelings but um uh
1: Okay. Well, I can. No, did, did they do something naughty? That
0: I no. I mean, I, I think at a time when a lot of people are pushing for, at the very least, police reform, at the most, police, oh, yeah. you know, abolition. Oh, yeah. It's it's a rough time for the police to come out and say, "Don't worry, we'll be we'll be there in full force." So it's. Right. It's uh, not nece- not <laughs> no, it's always the best interpret. time for a hands-on approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, thankfully, what, there has not been any, any police violence at this moment here. Um, but it's been really devastating watching what's happening in other places. But mm-hmm. the biggest thing I would say is like, don't, I mean, do listen to us if you want. But more importantly, listen to black people right now. That's been the biggest right. thing that I've been seeing. It fucking kills me. One of the top selling books on Amazon right now. Is a book all about racial justice and stuff written by a white woman. Like There are so <laughs> many black voices, contemporary, historical, so many people to listen to who have insight and who can tell you about their lived experience and what they need to feel safe right now. Um, and just a few of the things that I've been looking at, some of the things that I would recommend first as kind of a, a starting point. There's this really great website. It's pb-resources.com. And it's coded and compiled by a young black woman, and it has a huge wealth of information. It includes links to general information, education, petitions, donations, you name it. It's incredibly comprehensive. And there's a page on there that I especially recommend that everyone read. Um, It's called Anti-Racism for Beginners. It's a super helpful resource if this is new material for you, if this is something, you know, you're really engaging with for for the first time. And it's also a really useful toolkit for how you talk about racism with your, I'm not racist, but white friends and relatives that you might be interacting with right now. Because one of the things that I've kind of come up against is, you know, I, this is not entirely new to me i have done a lot of anthropology work i've done a lot of sociology work i've talked about race theory i've talked about the history of this stuff and you know while that doesn't make me an expert i I've developed my own thoughts and stuff. But when it's come to trying to educate other people, I don't always feel like I have those talking points ready. And I don't feel like I have the language and the kind of expertise to always explain that to somebody else. So even if you feel confident in your own knowledge, it can be really great to have a refresher in these kinds of things so that you have the language to talk about this with other people. And, you know, it's a lot of people have been saying if you can convince that one person if you can right. convince your grandma if you can convince your friend who's been on the fence you know that that is a change you can make and you want to be as well prepared as you can for that
1: right for my own part of it i've had i come from a multiracial family um my my father and uh my older brother are from trinidad and uh yeah i can definitely say that even today my younger brother and i we're still having conversations with friends where we're still having these moments where we have to say okay you know the problem isn't solved there's something that still mm-hmm. needs to be addressed and you know that's just it's it's the way it's the best way that we can help out is to just point out that it's still there that it's not gone yeah and try and you know educate people as best as we can a lot of people say that they don't really feel that it's their responsibility to educate other people and while that's true and while that's true i do understand that i understand the frustration um because it's it's something where i've had the conversation now several times uh, in every which way direction Mm -hmm. um but i've always found that you know it's better to make an ally than than to have another enemy and that is the way that i see it in the fight it's just one one voice at a time uh, you know. mm-hmm. and I think that is definitely still my saying which is nothing is stronger than gentleness and nothing is gentler than real strength and if we're just patient and we just keep telling our friends and our family that there's a certain way that we think that people should be treated and that people should be treated equally and that they would they should be treated the way that they would want to be treated I think that sooner or later something's gonna give yeah it's just a matter of continuing to persist.
0: Yeah. And I think yeah. talking about the, the, the kind of idea of responsibility in education, that's something that mm-hmm. I've dealt a lot with because I worked for several years as a cultural educator in a Native American cultural history museum. Um, and it was a weird kind of place to navigate my own role being a white person in mm-hmm. that environment. Um, sure. And at first I kind of felt conflicted about it because I was like, you know, do I have the right to be telling the stories of Native Americans? But then (laughs) the way I kind of thought about it um, is that Native Americans and really any minority group are so frequently forced into telling their own stories. They're forced into being an educator in every circumstance. They're the people exactly. like I've heard stories from so many black people at this moment in time who are getting messages from random high school acquaintances that they haven't talked to in 15 years. And they're like, Hey, as a black person, what do you think about what's happening right now? <laughs> and it's, uh-huh. and so every single black person has been, had to be the source of racial justice info for yeah, ages.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'd like to interject something right there. There's a really good meme going around. I just want to repeat it. Black Lives Matter is something that's still going to be fucking going after three weeks. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't something where you just, like, check in, be like, hey, are we cool? Are we cool, my one black friend? Okay. Uh, No. Yeah, that shit's not going to work. that's not how it works. That's not friendship. Right. That's not cool.
0: Exactly because of that. It is, it should be our responsibility as white people Mm -hmm. or whatever, whatever minority isn't suffering right now to pick up some of that fucking burden. And I mean, obviously, you should not be putting out your own agenda. You should not be putting out your own kind of thing. You should be boosting the voices of the people who are suffering right now. So that was the thing in my work that I did previously Everything I was putting out, I was very intentional about making sure it was stuff that was from Native voices and had been approved to be shared. So in a situation like this, you should be looking for those Black voices, looking for the people who have an action plan, who have this kind of really clear idea of what needs to happen to make things better and amplify those voices. It's it's not like you have to come up with all of the answers yourself. And that's one of the things that's been coming up, I think, for a lot of people who aren't used to engaging with anti-racism and with activism. What's happening right now can feel very new and very uncomfortable and radical, but it's not. Racism is not new. Brutality is not new. And calls for change are not new. Some of us just haven't been forced to deal with that on a daily basis before for. And one of the, one of the things that I've also been going back to um, is a a book I started reading a couple of years ago, but never finished, uh, Angela Davis's Freedom is a Constant Struggle. And that has been fantastic. So that one, it was written in the wakes of the Ferguson protests and Michael Brown's death. And so I started reading it a couple years ago and came back and finished the last chapters in the last week or so. And the moment that we're in right now Really, it just felt so relevant, it felt so poignant. She talks about institutional racism and how it's built into the systems we live in, the role of police and the prison system and all of this, and especially the transnational nature of protests was so poignant at this moment. She talked a lot about how the Palestinian protesters were helping protesters in Ferguson handle tear gas, these young people who had never protested before, who had never been up against the police before. And just like right now, how protesters from Hong Kong are helping the protesters in America right now, it feels so relevant because protests are popping up all over the world right now to protest racial injustices in their own countries. Um, And it's amazing seeing this community come up and realizing that this is relevant everywhere. This is a conversation everywhere. Um, And... It's really this huge ripple effect that's going all over the place. We don't exist in a vacuum. And I think it's important to realize that, that it's not, it is an American problem, but it's not a uniquely American problem. And there are things we can learn from all of these other places that have been dealing with it. Um, And with that in mind, too, Angela Davis is such an amazing thinker, and she's still out there. She's still doing great work. She's putting out amazing talks right now. I would highly encourage you to look up some of the speeches that she's putting out right now. Um, And this is really... The stuff that's coming out right now is directly in the legacy of the work she's been doing for decades the the book itself though freedom is a constant struggle i got from haymarket books they do a lot of great um ebooks that engage with kind of racial justice and that kind of thinking and they also um especially at points like this will occasionally offer books for free uh that are relevant so i highly recommend following them on different channels they've been a really useful educational resource for me personally yeah um another thing i want to mention um is donations um because that's a thing that's been yeah. coming up a lot there has been a lot of different charitable organizations pushed right now and it's great right. to see i think there's been a huge surge in awareness of this and people especially people like me who you know aren't in a place where it's really easy to engage with this in a way of like going to protests and stuff like that um, Often, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, is is the move. So I've been, I've been trying to donate to different organizations. Um, But there's one thing that's been coming up pretty recently in donations. There have been frustrations from people who have donated to larger organizations um, that have been pretty overwhelmed by that and are not able to distribute those resources really quickly. There's something that it's important to know about charitable organizations Is that when you make a donation to charity there is a specific task that that money is allocated for and they cannot spend it on other things without breaking the law (laughs) so when you donate to a bail fund for instance they can only spend that money on bail so they can bail out every single person in the prison system there but when they've gotten 35 million dollars like the minnesota freedom fund has they can bail everybody out and still have a large stockpile of money And they can't use that for other things. Like, they can eventually, they can keep using this money over the years, but there have been a lot of people getting angry that, you know, that money isn't being immediately redistributed to protesters in need or to other kind of organizations. They can't do that. So with that in mind, something I would recommend if you are looking to make donations at this point is to distribute those donations across a wider net and often to smaller organizations. I'm not saying don't donate to large organizations or to national organizations, those can be great, but consider also looking at local resources, consider looking at kind of smaller, smaller things like there are tons of GoFundMe accounts for victims' families, protesters, and people who are especially vulnerable right now. Um, there's one in particular that I, I've seen doing pretty well that I donated to for um, homeless trans women in Atlanta, which has been really great. That one's gotten a lot of support. But there are similar accounts like this popping up all over. and. I mean, certainly feel free to vet them as you, as you wish to uh, to make sure that it's something that you feel is, is good to support because there have been a couple of, you know, sketchy right. ones popping up as well. But I personally feel like I have made a greater impact by donating to some of those larger funds, but also having a faster and more direct impact in smaller communities as well. So just something to think about as you're doing this and especially those funds like uh, things for black trans women. They're some of the most targeted and the most vulnerable in the population. And now is a great time to donate to them in Pride Month, in this moment in Black history, in honor of, you know, Marsha P. Johnson, stuff like that. Just think about about all of the people who are especially vulnerable right now. Um, And, you know, go forth. Do some good.
1: There's like the saying, you know, sometimes we don't go in to fight a war, sometimes we go in to win one. So Mm -hmm. the other thing that kind of pops to mind is to make sure that certain places aren't just funded, but that you can always wait and then Mm -hmm. rush in later on with the funding and then use that to assist when when things start to run dry yeah absolutely yeah i mean
0: that's one of been one of the big things that's been coming up now too is with people um there's been this big forward wave in donations that has been great but Mm -hmm. there's something to say for sustaining that energy as well um, because you know a lot of people Mm -hmm. have put out 15 donations to 15 different places But if that dries up your well of resources immediately, and there's somebody else who needs money a month from now, maybe pace yourself and don't, obviously don't tax your personal resources, but find a way to spread that out and make the biggest impact over time. Because
1: I I agree, I agree with everything you just said. I'm just more, I'm just more concerned about the distribution in in Mm -hmm. terms of time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic point as well. Yeah. Yeah. and then the one last kind of resource I want to talk about, as, and then kind of turning more into the horror world, is a movie that I watched a little while ago on Shutter called Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, um, and that one was fantastic. I really just can't recommend it enough. I thought it was a great conversation about the history of Black representation and stories in horror from directly from Black actors, directors, and film experts, um, the whole thing... Hugely enjoyable It's an hour and a half Which is In my mind The perfect length That's how long Every movie should be It was yeah, it was enjoyable, it was educational, it taught me a lot, it gave me insight into the movies I already had seen, like there were things about uh, about talking about The Shining and Mr. Halloran, um, they talked about the delightful Senyana Nanua and The Girl with All the Gifts, and then it also helped me build a list of other really seminal movies that I haven't seen and should have when you're looking at the impact that Black people have had on horror. And it was really great. Um kind of looking at this history of how this has developed in this medium because i'm somebody who i've studied you know the development of black music i've studied the development of of black people in drag i've studied different areas but never this and it was really eye-opening seeing the specific treatment in the horror industry hugely interesting and it was also it was based on um a book called horror noir i believe uh by robert means coleman Mm. which i haven't read but if you want to get deeper in that in there as well. I'm sure that's also a great resource if it's anything like the film was, but hugely recommended. Um, I, I- have totally gotten my money's worth out of my shutter subscription now in my uh, in my opinion because it was an hour and a half it taught me so much and it was fun to watch you get to see all of these people all of these actors that I enjoy watching on the screen sitting down watching these movies that are part of the history of you know the, the horror canon and having a great time talking about them and it's i think it hit a really great point as an educational but enjoyable tool that is fantastic to watch if, you know, if you care about horror, which you probably do if you're listening to this. So go forth. Enjoy.
1: (laughs) Damn well better be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would
0: hope so. I would hope so about now.
1: (laughs) I think my favorite piece from my my start in horror watching it as a kid was uh, Tales from the Hood Mm from 1995. That's something I've probably watched about a million times. And... I've I've always loved every single bit of that movie and um,
0: yeah yeah there was some stuff that I was really excited about in there there were movies that I've just never heard of because there's stuff that don't always come up when when I hear the list of the classics and there were things that I was looking at like that should be a classic that looks like a classic it's
1: not not, yeah it's it's a it's something where it it doesn't get a lot of prioritization Mm Mm-hmm. It's definitely been a conversation in the past uh, between me and other colleagues uh, regarding some larger publication venues. I won't name Mm -hmm. names, but it's something, yeah, where we've mostly noticed it. Uh, It's definitely been an established conversation. Um, I think that Andrea Subasadi, the executive editor over at Roomorg, and uh, Dave Alexander, the editor before her, um, also, you know, they did their best to combat that. Uh, mm-hmm. When they could, and like even even last month, uh, Rumorg was covering the Candyman remake, mm-hmm. and it's something where yeah, it's something where there's definitely a lot more attention to detail because, um, I think almost everybody in the field right now, at my age, realized there was a systemic problem uh, because we think about it fairly regularly. Yeah. we we know that. You know, most horror movies are based on uh, social ills. And, you know, when we started to realize that even as a kid, when I was like, hey, you know, why isn't this movie more popular? Um, It Uh definitely hit home, right? So even as a kid, you're like, hmm, you know, this isn't really cool that this isn't being covered by some of the major magazines, even as I was a kid. So back in the 90s, we still, you know, we still had that problem. And yeah, but there have been a lot of, brave people who did address it and it's something where you know today and you know, hopefully we're going to get even more leeway we're going to gain more ground and, and push back more on that because yeah. those films do deserve recognition
0: yeah absolutely so. and it was interesting in in the, in the documentary um talking about you know the people who have really fought their way to the forefront and created this venue mm-hmm. they were like they were It kind of went through sequentially, but ended up with talking with, like, Jordan Peele, talking with these people who have (laughs) now become hugely successful in horror, making movies that 10 years ago people would have said nobody wanted to watch. And I think it's been made really clear that there is an audience for Black voices. We just need to, you know, allot the space for them, because for so long, Hollywood and writing and so many different kind of groups... Have purposefully not made space for those voices, even when they are profitable, even when they are and interesting I mean, when, and have a story to tell. W-
1: there's two things to that. One thing is how many things we remake, right? Because mm-hmm. like we've been remaking shit. shit for like the last 20 years, and yeah, it is fucking, fucking it. up our industry. We uh-huh. didn't need it. The no. second thing is um, how many things we've whitewashed, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we'll, you know, any any anybody who's any kind of fan of international horror uh knows that if you're a big fan of a mainstream film that came from an international market almost always there has been a a a white american version made mm-hmm. um i think edgar wright i mean just to show you the ridiculousness of, of this uh edgar wright uh, when he was doing his don't trailer for grindhouse it was one of three faux trailers in the middle of the film uh, even used British actors and had them dubbed with American voices to show how they would do that. Yeah, so just to show how ridiculous the American Hollywood mm-hmm. market behaves, uh, it's just ridiculous. It's it's not and it's it's disrespectful. You know, a lot of these places, um, Jew on shutter. Yeah, no, I don't let the right one in. times out of 10. Mm -hmm. There's not even a solid one on this. It was almost always unnecessary. The original was almost always far superior. Mm -hmm. Um, The only time I ever felt that there was ever kind of an improvement uh, was maybe with 2002's The Ring, uh, Mm -hmm. which is an adaption of uh, Koji Suzuki's Ringu. Um, And even then we didn't need we didn't need a white cast to make that no. movie feel relevant especially it was being shot like in washington and california yeah no. uh, yeah there were plenty of people who were japanese who i know live out in california yeah, who of could have no, been viable actors
0: it's like right? white audiences are so sc- sorry i shouldn't say white audiences europe handles it american audiences are terrified of subtitles for no goddamn reason it's like they right. people are convinced that foreign films won't sell and to be fair i traditionally they don't um, but there's this idea that things have to be made ultra American to become palatable to these audiences but it is especially right. interesting at this point like looking at the and, success of a uh, of movie like Parasite um, which to be fair is you know it, I think has had a occupied a particular space and it's not exactly a horror movie I've heard some dissension about you know how well, well it fits it's... into horror but yeah. it's
1: it People got... say the same thing about The Lighthouse. Yeah, and... true,
0: true. But it's, it's a I would say, a scary movie. And it garnered huge success and huge popularity here as a subtitled movie made by international audiences. But it is interesting how I feel like in horror in particular, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you have more expertise than, in this area than I do. I feel like there's been um, more of a kind of acceptance of... Um, Asian horror than there has been pretty much any other international market so we'll see there's a lot more kind of Japanese horror that I've seen there's a lot more Asian horror but like I feel like that has not always extended to to other you know racial groups in the same way I would say
1: it was more of an I would say that yeah I'm not an expert in j-horror um I will say that yes uh, on first glance, I do believe that that's completely true, though it feels more like a strange coincidence than a conscious decision to say, <laughs> yeah. let's just take Asian movies for a while. It was, it, it is something where I, I do credit Koji Suzuki, mm-hmm. who is, who is hailed as the Stephen King of the East, uh, for the, for the J horror movement's success, mm-hmm. you know, there were, there were a lot of and other talented authors as well, um. But thats mostly it. Was Suzuki Steam that really got everybody there? But that is really one exception that proves the rest of the rule, yeah. which is that America is glaringly bad and glaringly abysmal at uh, diversifying, and mm-hmm. and even in its entertainment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So- I mean, there's—it's a really systemic thing. There's very typically very specific roles that we want people to yeah. fill in culture.
1: I, I would like to say, though, that my experience as a horror journalist, though, is that a lot of mo- movie motion pictures, their success, aside from who distributes them and their in stu- the studios that make them, is very much, by and large, a great deal of luck. It is yeah. really like going to a roulette table when we're talking about the success of a movie, because you can have, divorced from diversification for a moment, um, that it's already really really hard to find something that's that's diverse and that's good when the when you have all these studios and distributors kind of forcing smaller people out but you have to imagine how much good stuff is actually floating out there that you don't Mm -hmm. know about that we're only discovering now it is in a way it's it's its own ecosystem so like something like which we're gonna which we're doing in for july house right house from 1977 And The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. A lot of people knew about The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires that were, like, hardcore horror fans. But almost no one knew that House existed up until, like, up until, like, maybe, maybe the early 2000s. And Yeah, certainly not
0: American audiences.
1: No. And, again, it's something where we're watching it with subtitles, right? We watch both films with subtitles. Mm -hmm. And they're amazing films. They're great films. They stand on their own. Um, So there's just... You know it, it really proves it. But in terms of like Hollywood itself, it's already such a jumble when it comes to getting the business aspect of it out of the way. But the diversification element has always been there. And I think that um, if studios had diversified earlier on, mm-hmm. uh, we wouldn't have the problems that we have today no, with not. Hollywood. I mean, uh, barring the writer's strike, which is also something where... Uh, that's that's another topic you know to get into sooner or later um there were a lot of intelligent voices years and years ago that were saying we should have more diversification in cinema and we're you know hopefully with Mm -hmm. this movement we will finally start to move back that way i mean things are changing right theaters are emptying out we are going more for streaming services the columns of power that make up the film world are shifting right and the same thing with print and with and with who controls what we read as well because that's another big issue and that's also something that requires a great degree of diversification it's not something that i often talk about Mm -hmm. in a non-horror capacity but when talking to writers um one of my favorite subjects is to talk about how in mainstream commercial bookstores we can't get certain writers because of a certain book that uh is taught at a at at Ivy League schools, I won't name it here. um, But it really screwed up America's diversification of its reading lists, because it basically eliminated uh, any, any non English speaking author from the Mm -hmm. list. So if I go into, you know, say a major retail, a major book retailer, and I want to buy some an author like Nizami Ganjavi, who is a contemporary of Rumi, you know i can't find him i can't find him inside of a major retailer mm-hmm. and i've and i've said that a lot of times outside and not on this podcast where that lack of diversification is a major handicap to people who want to write horror or who or at least want to become oh, yeah. better authors it's a major major handicap yeah i mean it's because... absurd to
0: think that there's a wealth of you know so much history of writing from all over the world. And you're expected to use just the tiniest fraction of American and European authors, usually all white American and European authors to educate you on the full canon of what literature can be.
1: Right. And, and not, and not just that white male American Mm -hmm. European (laughs) authors. That's the other thing Um, that, that, and it's, and it's to our detriment. It has filtered into our field as well. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of times where if you're looking for a female, uh, non white author. It is really hard to find it's someone really hard. <laughs> really hard to find somebody who's been really commercially successful. I mean now times are changing, but it's a fight and we really can't let up. We have to stay vigilant. We have to keep hammering at that. And you know, like you know, if you if you guys want a good read, Nizami mm-hmm. Ganjavi, The Mirror of the Invisible World, that's like a fantastic read, if you can find it. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of great stuff out there. Uh it, it actually was like One of the founding texts for Puccini's um, *Turandot*, so Hmm. which is an opera, which which is yeah, which uh, was later uh, became you know one of the pieces that inspired the opera um, *Turandot*, which has a very famous song in it called *Nessun Dorma*. It's kind of an important part. It's it founded and greatly informed European culture, but we don't know about it. You know, mm-hmm. like if we want to get academic and we want to talk about like how things hurt us, that's a very specific example, but that's a good example. You know, this guy was a contemporary of Rumi. Nobody's freaking heard of him outside of like people who probably study medieval Arabic li- literature, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and I apologize to any anthropologists who are hearing this and I've, I've butchered their subject. I apologize. <laughs> I'm not an expert in in, in all literatures, uh, but that's just one example of how. People of color historically, you know, going way, way back have been have been cut out of our lives and it mm-hmm. has not benefited us. It has screwed us royally. Yeah.
0: yeah. And in a specifically American context, I think it's really predictable that there are certain areas of culture, certain areas of pop culture where we when I say we I mean the, the kind of general American pop culture audience, not yeah. us specifically, but areas where We're thrilled to see black people. We want black people in hip hop. We want black people in these kind of specific musical areas, in specific areas of like reality television. They're very specific niches where they are elevated, but it's areas that they're elevated to kind of maintain a certain status quo and a certain cultural representation. And they're valued and often fetishized in those kinds of areas. But it's carefully corralled into these tiny niches of American culture and right. really kind of forced to stay there and people who are tried who try to break out of that are often punished f- and yeah. you know we, the-, we,
1: the the punchline is the punchline is we're putting people in boxes who mm-hmm. don't deserve to be there and the general public is getting hurt from it yeah that that's what we're trying to say
0: yeah absolutely right? like i feel like we're this missing is, out on so much this is only hurting
1: us right we have so much potential as a unified people and we're just missing out every day. I actually think of there's like as a Star Trek nerd as a mm-hmm. kid who grew up watching the Next Generation. Same. I think one of my favorite episodes is when they use Geordie LaForge's visor to um, to who was Geordie LaForge, who was played by African American actor LeVar Burton. Love him. Uh, he was a African American blind man on the on the crew of The Enterprise. And you know, it was kind of like uh, the implication is kind of like uh, you know, Geordie might have been in some way, Uh, less of a crew member because he was handicapped and uh without his visor the crew would have been completely screwed in one mission Mm -hmm. so there's just something there where i you know i take that to heart and it's it's one one of many positive sort of morals where if we work together we'd have a much more positive society and i mean this fighting with each other it's not bringing us anywhere
0: no no i mean yeah there's there's so much to learn from so many people. And with that with that kind of in mind, as we're talking about horror, do you have any um, black horror writers that you would recommend?
1: Uh, yeah. Linda Addison, Octavia Butler, uh Noya Yemi, Maurice Carlos Ruffin, and Samiko Salson. Now, Samiko Salson put together a great anthology uh, called 60 Black Women in Horror Fiction. And uh, you can preview some of those authors on her site, uh, samikosalson.com. And I'll put a direct link to that in the comments below. Uh, there's so much that I would like to talk about for June. I don't know. Like like the, the fact that it is possible that a group of kids on TikTok and. Um,
0: oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The I know Zoomers, I have a lot of shit to yeah, say. <laughs> it's just this moment. Yeah. And I, I don't give a fuck. I'm totally happy about that. Like, oh yeah. I've never been so proud. Like, the thing that gives me hope for this generation is that a group of kids basically just slam dunked on on not only the president of the united states but arguably one of the most powerful two-party systems in the Mm -hmm. entire world love to see it for
0: anybody who has not heard the story everybody probably (laughs) has but um both k-pop stands and kids on tiktok have done great work uh Trump was doing a big rally in Tulsa that was originally supposed to be on Juneteenth. And then they courteously moved a day, um, but they were pre- pre-registering pre tickets online. And right. um, a fantastic <laughs> video went out on TikTok with somebody being like, hey, wouldn't it be a shame if people got these tickets and didn't show up? And then... T- mostly teens Around did. the world Were buying up tickets They sold over A million of these tickets And then Generously 16,000 people I've heard as low As 4,000 people Showed up To uh-huh. a nearly empty hall Um Masterful With well, the
1: 19,000 seat capacity were, mm-hmm. no, And let's get yeah. the numbers It was a, It was actually The, the conservative estimate mm-hmm is a 6,000 turnout yep. with a 19,000 seat capacity. Yeah, and overflow capacity, areas all over supposedly, outside. Supposedly a million people who mm-hmm. wanted to show up the the backspin kick those kids just delivered yeah, fucking was love amazing it. yeah
0: and the thing so that's been driving proud. me crazy is i've seen like major news outlets being like <laughs> oh kids play a prank i'm like that's not a fucking prank that's activism right. this is people right. doing activism in the way that they can and that's... like i saw that video i like i know people who have participated and that is an act of activism and fuck yes
1: <laughs> right. it's like you know what teacher may not be old enough to vote yet totally old enough to troll your shit
0: yeah absolutely and this is not the first time like it's again the k-pop stands bless them as annoying as they may be on twitter you know what i don't care i'm always happy to see a k-pop video i don't give a shit they're fun to watch but um (laughs) but this is not the first time in the past few weeks they've flooded like the white lives matter hashtag they've helped to really set stuff back on track and get remove hate and you know Get rid of that. Great dancing performances. Yeah, this is this is a face of activism (laughs) that is great to see. It's fun to see it happen, and I'm so impressed by people. I'm so happy. Like God, as somebody It's like like, a
1: bunch of little kids sitting on the couch and it's like, holy shit, Greta's not on TV anymore. (laughs) Oh god damn it, I gotta roll out of bed and handle this myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like a million of
1: them thought that at once.
0: It's fucking delightful. (laughs) And like as somebody I'm I think I'm technically millennial, but I'm pretty much cusp between millennial and Gen Z. Like, I don't totif- totally feel like I fit in with-, with either generational stereotype. I'm sure nobody feels like they do, but hey, here we are. No. Um, But, so <laughs> proud of Gen Z. I'm just like, I love, they're thriving, I love watching them go, like, they're dealing with so much shit, like, co- coming of age in a time like this where just everything's in fucking chaos and the world's about to be handed off to them as adults. Like, if yeah, millennials thought right. they had it fucking bad, like, Gen Z coming out with nihilism and right. full force, like, well, fuck it. Let's right. just make it chaos while right. we go. Let's go. <laughs> right. Oh, and play? I love Let's to play. see it.
1: Yeah. I, I very proud. Couldn't yeah. be prouder, actually.
0: I was so fucking lutely. Just <laughs> delightful. Oh. <Yeah>. So good. <laughs>
1: it's really funny. It's just the funniest thing ever.
0: I feel like this is such a great moment, too, to see like all of the various ways that activism can happen like there are so many different ways that you can make a difference and it's fantastic to watch like it's really great seeing people find creative ways to use whatever freaking platform they have to make shit happen and um, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. proud I'm proud I'm happy I'm entertained and and that's that's the best.
1: And I'll say if you're standing on the sidelines and you're still unsure of what to do, I can I can say that if you're like, you know, know, I have a lot of friends who are big Bible believers. You know, there was there was supposedly a war in heaven once. And uh, the angels that did nothing, they didn't get any credit for it. So (laughs) pick a side and uh, head to battle, Mm -hmm. will you?
0: Yeah. Uh, Inaction is not helping anybody.
1: (laughs) Right. There's the Vernon John story, uh, which is another favorite quote of mine, comes from James Earl Jones uh, earlier in his career. Where he played uh a a gentleman named vernon johns uh who uh, also was a victim of persecution and his his saying was if you see a good fight get in it and mm-hmm. now i believe you know you I know, mean, while the rest of the world is burning and going to hell anyway eh, why not <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely but i do i also do want to mention like we were talking before about um like budgeting financial resources like for things like donations yeah. like spreading that out over time make sure that you're budgeting your own energy too because it's it's something where you know one of the big things that's come up especially with protests that are going on i mean A lot of major news outlets have stopped covering some of the protesting that's going on, but most major cities around the U.S., there have been protests nearly every single day for the past month, and there are still planned protests. These are not planning on dying down, but also you don't need to do every single thing all at once we're seeing a lot of people burn out a lot of people who are heavily involved really running out of steam being emotionally exhausted being really mentally torn up this is a rough time for a lot of people's mental health um so you know, make sure that you are budgeting your personal energy. Like, you want to do what you can, but you need to make sure that you can still be carrying that forward next week and next month. And to do that, you need to be taking care of yourself in the middle of all this, too.
1: I actually think of something that I've seen a few times where there are militaries that have to stop in the desert, you know, back in olden times. Mm-hmm. And it's always because they have to replenish their water supply. Mm-hmm. They take more time. Well, there was a gentleman, his name was El Salah Adin who was the, he was the old man of the mountain. That was his, his royal moniker. Um, he led one of the caliphates at one time. And there was a crusader, um, that was launched after the death of one of the most peaceful Kings ever, King Baldwin IV. Fourth. Mm-hmm. and Salah Adin won the fight because he always stopped and waited to move to water, and that was why when the Crusaders got there after charging for a week, they were cut down in, like, five minutes, whereas mm-hmm. his his people were just ready to go, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, yeah I it's mean, one of those and, Keeping energy during a fight is a very important yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: and that's one of the things that's happening very literally right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know in a lot of places where there is more direct, like, protester versus police stuff happening um like the police are running out of steam they're running out of overtime officers are quitting they're like the reason police are backing down in a lot of areas are and are stopping
1: in the protest lines now
0: yes in some places right. but they're running out of the resources because they hit it so hard right off the bat right. but we're seeing you know protesters yeah. well, that are continuing, continuing to the go the world's they're...
1: most inept commander-in-chief Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah he's the he's he is the inspector lestrade of commander-in-chiefs he is literally as inept and stupid as they come when it comes to response so everything is hammer it hammer it hammer it mm-hmm. but you can only play whack-a-mole so long
0: yeah a hammer <laughs> is not the best tool for every single problem right. especially <laughs> not
1: your own people right? yeah yeah especially crazy how that works when you've been arming them for like 20 30 years oh my god yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's smart yeah yeah
0: yeah so speaking of you know filling up your water and uh what's what's some some good stuff what have you been enjoying lately uh
1: let's see so uh zombies run produced by six to start has uh, been putting out consistent episodes of their stay at home workout program called the home front I think they released episode eleven the other day uh so those are those are a nice hefty little stack of episodes to hold on to for mm-hmm. home workouts. It's really cool um let's see what else has been new. Uh, I've just been indoors and exercising and yeah you know, started oh. another another workshop that I'm leading uh,
0: very nice,
1: yeah. You know. Um, you know, my moose now has a an N ninety five mask on it that that I don't <laughs> use anymore. Uh, so now everybody's safe and protected. Of course,
0: of course. Um,
1: let's see. It's definitely going over lists of, of films to watch during COVID. Uh, let's see, what else did we have? I was thinking at some older, notable, or three notable films that I really liked from from the 70s that I really enjoyed. Uh, Blackula from 1972, mm-hmm. Sugar Hill from 1974, and Dr. Black and Mr. White from 1976, which is basically like a spin on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. Those three I really enjoyed. So I got to rewatch those this uh this, uh, last few weeks afraid, since yeah, safe from episode. I think
0: all three of those came up in the in the in the mm-hmm. documentary. Yeah, that I was
1: like, Oh yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> the thing is, I don't even have shutter. I didn't even know. So it's like a weird coincidence, like, oh oh everybody's finally on the same wave, I'm like, oh thank God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you, oh, so you were You nice. right on board without well, even knowing it. <laughs> I like I've always I've always loved Black Yellow, but that, yeah, June has always been the time when I really get to enjoy films where they're not necessarily mainstream, because I I don't always watch every single genre throughout the year. I usually mm-hmm. keep it pretty split up, depending upon my taste, like, you know, I'll watch stuff just for Halloween. I usually keep it, and it's not, it's not split up by subgenre or anything, it's just split up by, by the time of the year and what feels most appropriate black yellow always felt more like a summer film for me and it's the same thing with dr black and mr white so Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. i mean there's all right look i've got to listen to some of the music for animal crossing since we (laughs) held it in such high regard last time it's definitely good stuff yeah it's definitely good music to chill out to. Mm-hmm. While everything else is on fucking fire.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's most of my music recommendations are basically my version of like the ten hour loop of chill bops just to relax <laughs> to. That's that's mm-hmm. most of my music.
1: <laughs> for some reason, because we keep going through zombies and 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 zombie phases, I've actually been listening to the soundtrack for um, Plants vs Zombies. <laughs> um, Laura Shigihara has a beautiful song at the end uh which is called there's a zombie on your lawn which i've been listening to pretty on and off it's very mellow
0: delightful uh,
1: been re-listening to a lot of hotel costa cds from back in the day which are no longer produced but they've always had a very you know a very intriguing sort of mellow kind of balance to them so i've been enjoying those two um
0: uh, lovely yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about chill bops, I, I've got some. <laughs> I know I've sent you some of them. I've, my list is building, but I listened li- to
1: all of it. I thought it was really good. I yeah.
0: Just... Yeah. It's, it's my, my chill bops. So uh, last, I think it was last month I talked about, uh, Louis Long and Brian David Gilbert's, um, mm-hmm. Uh, Thumbnail, which is, like, still my favorite song I listen to constantly. But, like, right after we talked about that, uh, Louis Zong dropped a new album called Pocket. The whole thing's up on YouTube, and I think Spotify, other platforms as well. But the, the lead single of that, also features Brian David Gilbert. So it was Mm -hmm. like a delightful resurgence of my favorite, favorite people back together again. Um, Whole album, really fun. A little more jazzy. Got a little more bop to it. Features a bunch Mm -hmm. of different cool vocalists, a bunch of different cool little sections. One of my favorite little bits in there. It's called Tornado. It's a fun song. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing is like a 45 minute listen. Great kind of chill bops to have on. Huge fan. Really been delightful. Also, for the the summery vibe, what I've really been enjoying, uh, Sean Wasabi came out with an album called Mango Tail. Freaking delightful. The whole thing is like poppy and electronic and bright. And like, it makes me want to have like a cold beverage by a pool. It feels really good. Really good listen on a hot day. And plus, there's a song about Animal Crossing, which is naturally my favorite. Um, I love it. I've been really enjoying that one. That's very upbeat. And then a third one I didn't actually mention to you yet, but this one's just a single that came out um, a little while ago by Shamir. Shamir came out with a new song called On My Own, which was really interesting. Um, Shamir is super cool. Uh, He's a queer black musician, really interesting. I listened to his first debut album that came out, I think in 2015, I want to say, which Mm -hmm. was very like electronic, poppy like kind of dance music still enjoy it just listen to it on a car trip it was it was great but um the the new song that he came out with on my own super interesting it's more a little more like rock influenced has some like Mm -hmm. kind of riot girl kind of musical elements to it and he produced the entire music video for it on his own in quarantine so it's Mm -hmm. fun like lo-fi filmography lots of cool outfits and it's really it was really like it's a nice wholesome song where you get to see his vision it's it's a bop it's fun to listen to and i was really happy to see him come back in my kind of purview and i know he's i now know he's done stuff in the interim but for me it was kind of like he existed back then and then popped back up into my into you know my world um but i'm really happy to to see him again it's been really nice uh And it was a a fun refresher to have that that song on my horizon, as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, And as usual, I have 50,000 video game thoughts and feelings. I am still playing Animal Crossing and will be forever. The uh, monthly Animal Crossing update is that it's summer, so it's shark season. So I'm catching sharks. I'm having a great time. Are you doing it humanely? Oh, of course. PETA approved methods only. Um (laughs) Yeah. No, but I it is It's not new, like, this has happened in previous games too, but I still find it the most fucking hysterical thing when you, this tiny little cartoon person, whips out a huge full-size whale shark from under the sea and you're just holding a giant whale shark in your two little cartoon hands. It's an absurd spectacle, and I I love it. And then you just shove it into your pocket because, of course, you do. It's perfect.
1: (laughs) Because that's just where whale sharks go in our pocket. Yeah,
0: of course. We all keep a shark in our pocket. Uh, Oh, my God. Actually, this reminds me of a very tangential story, but one that is my favorite and has a very relevant photo that I can, I'll post on the, on the Instagram and stuff. But, um, Years ago, back, like, my, my job in the summer between, like, high school and, and uh, college, um, I would work, I worked at this kind of curiosity shop. They did, like, rocks and minerals and art and stuff, but upstairs were the, the cabinets of curiosity. Um, it's called the Rock and Art Shop. They're great. Shop from them. Love them. Um, but they had all of this weird taxidermy, bones, creepy crawly stuff, and it was a great place to work at. I had a lot of fun. But one day, this guy bought a shark. It was a relatively small shark, probably like four feet long or so, like three or four feet. It's, but it's a full taxidermy shark. And he's like, can you ship this for me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah of course we can ship it. Um, and then I look in the back and we do not have a box big enough for this, but this is a good sale. And I'm not about to let this go. I'm like, you know what? Don't worry. I will find a way. So I built like this jigsaw tetris shark box like it's a perfectly molded box taped together out of like four other boxes we had in storage so you pick this box up and it is a shark shaped box you can see the tail you can see that it is a shark but every bit was covered every bit was secure and i was damn sure that that shark was going to arrive in one piece through the mail Yeah, yeah, the shark shaped box. Uh, I will post a photo because it still delights me. The photo also includes um my friend Rain's old dog, Moo Bear, uh, Moose for scale, who's like a teeny tiny Pomeranian. Um she was the mm-hmm. she was the, the scale model in there, but just delightful. Anyway, um you know wait, wait, tangents. Wait, 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 no
1: wait, wait <laughs> go back two seconds.
0: <laughs> yeah, wait, back it up, back it up, second. yep. Uh huh, yep. What we'll did return, you start. do with
1: the Pomeranian? What? What did you
0: do with the Pomeranian? Oh, no. He, she was in the photo as like the, the reference for oh, scale of the shark. Oh,
1: God. Oh, okay. So scale reference. Okay.
0: No, the, was she like... was not in the box. She was not involved with the shark. No, but... Oh, okay.
1: Thank God in heaven for that. Okay. Yeah, but no, she clarifying. was great.
0: She was always around as a model for all of the jewelry. Um, We would routinely stick like water buffalo horns on her throughout the day when we were bored really shop a mascot all around. Love her dearly.
1: Had a very eventful life. Good.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I also enjoyed that, like, we're, like, three episodes into doing the bonus episodes, and this has already just become Axis talks about her friend's dogs, um, which feels very on-brand, so... (laughs)
1: It's not so different from what some of my other colleagues do. Don't worry about it. Except we don't charge for it. So please continue. Right.
0: No, I will never apologize for that because that's exactly what I'm here to do. I'm I'm a woman with a simple mission and that's talk about dogs.
1: Uh (laughs) (laughs) But what about cats and whore? Okay, Mm. we we
0: clearly Axis is here to talk about every animal.
1: (laughs) God damn it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I am a very equal opportunity. I will talk about them all with equal love. Um, speaking right, like, what of what getting back to... What about chameleons in horror? Mm-hmm.
1: What about chameleons in horror?
0: I, are there chameleons in horror? I don't know any.
1: I don't know either. But I do know that there should be one because it's probably the one thing that Ghost Rider can't give the penance stare to, so... <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, all right. This is the official call for chameleons in horror. Make it happen. I want to see it. I'm ready. I, w- I would enjoy it. Oh, I did also I got my my lizard back from her her babysitter. So I have my my very angry lizard pancake back in my house and she has a certain a certain hatred inherent in her that I think would make her great in a horror movie. So if anybody's casting and wants a very very angry bearded dragon, let me know. Um she's ready to go. Um she doesn't do a lot other than stare very viciously, but when she does, it's very profound. It hits you deep in your core. Um, it's so I intense. think that's, that's the kind of psychological horror that audiences are really looking for. Um, yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's the worst and I love her so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, my, for my end of it, the thing that I've, I've been starting to do now is, um, I have to go outside now almost every day and straighten up our pumpkin vines because we have mm-hmm. a... Fairly large backyard, and we have about well, we have about we have about ten or eleven pumpkin plants and a bunch of zucchini plants. And the thing is, you don't really want the vines from the pumpkins strangling anything else. So mm-hmm. I've been doing what I've been doing a lot of is going outside and gently detaching the very loving hug that my vine is giving mm-hmm. the nearest adjacent plant, kind of like <laughs> a boa constrictor strangling uh-huh. the ever-loving shit out of the nearby plant and saying. Yeah okay you might want to let go of that and maybe just touch this irrigation pump here instead (laughs) and um gentle loving redirection walking around like little green cable clips in my pockets so that i can get that shit lined up that's that's Mm -hmm. the other thing and uh yeah i will say this has been the strangest zombie apocalypse i've ever lived through it is uh it's very interesting to have all this uh, all these excess gourds that we're growing this year just in case people need food for the winter so no,
0: very good of you it's, it's always good to be charitable with your gourds
1: well the funny thing is it's now everybody else is gardening and they're just sending me their progress or in in, in some ways my <laughs> wife is kind of marketing it as they're sending me the blame and ineptitude of my farming skills mm-hmm. so i'm just getting photos of like oh this is what my backyard looks like now and i'm like oh wow this this actually looks good and hey <laughs> look at that yeah. And I was like, and your wife didn't do all the gardening, right? Because 'Cause I'm in a check. And <laughs> if <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I m- find out otherwise you're in trouble. Uh huh.
0: No, I'm ex- I'm excited. It's it's gardening time here. Um, like yeah. it's it's been warm enough for seed starts for a little while. I mean, warm enough. Mm-hmm. It's fucking miserable, and I hope it, you enjoy the phonics of me slurping my cold drink because it's 80 degrees in my closet right now, and I'm dying. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, I so turned we've off had... my
1: air conditioner for this episode, so yes, yep. I feel it.
0: Yep, I'm, I'm, yeah. It's it's uh it's just gonna get worse, but here we are. Um, but <laughs> we've had seed starts going for a little while, but my mom, um. Finally got a few big bags of soil so she can re-up all of our garden beds. So she's, I believe, outside right now planting a lot of stuff. So hopefully in the next month or so we should see some fresh tomatoes coming up, see some nice nice greenery outside. There's that's like such a great summertime thing for me. That was always delightful, like when I would come home from work, um like Parth car pop out and just see like a fresh cherry tomato right there. That would be like my little snack when I came in from work. It was always always a treat, so Definitely excited for for fresh garden produce once again. Always a good time. Oh so
1: yeah. I, was, I was like, oh, oh yeah, good. I was,
0: okay. I was thinking, cool. yes, cool.
1: Vegetables, good. Actually, <laughs> this morning I made myself a vegetable Mediterranean sandwich, like from Panera. Oh. I've actually like mastered all of it, oh. so I make everything at home. Who uh,
0: needs Panera when we've got Moner's Kitchen?
1: I mean, yeah, that's that's actually exactly how I we made the kitchen so that I can make everything myself, and I never have to go out ever again. And I still get all the conveniences of my of my former life.
0: Hmm. I mean, uh, I have I have been listening to the saga of you trying to recreate the perfect Starbucks pumpkin spice latte pretty much since I met you. Like, I feel yeah. like that's the ongoing project.
1: I mean, it's not the it's not the latte. It's the well, there's different syrups and. One of them is from a, well, there's there's different syrups that were used, and it's recapturing some of those things, but with as little processed food as possible, mm. because it's kind of the trick. And then the other thing was doing a cold brew pumpkin spice and doing mm-hmm. that from scratch and figuring out how that was done, because it's, maybe this is just me, I really don't think it's like nine pounds of heavy cream and some Libby's pumpkin. Um, I think that there's actually a little bit more to it when you're throwing it into iced coffee, so... Yeah. yeah, that, But that's it. Yeah, my whole summer is going to be um, me drinking what's called neem tea, which is a very <sighs> healthy. It's good for cleaning your... your no, no, you're, you're seeing it the wrong way. Uh-huh, so it's yeah, great for cleaning me. your liver. And what I do is normally when I start my morning routine, I go on a walk for about two hours. And then I come back and I make the tea. And the tea, for anybody who has not had the uh, pleasure of tasting neem tea uh tastes like green tea and black tea hate fucked each other Mm -hmm. so what i end up doing is i drink that first and then everything else i drink or eat throughout the day tastes like candy because once you have (laughs) drunk this stuff i'm i'm like like everything tastes better okay Mm -hmm. everything everything you can imagine tastes better your water tastes like candy after you've drunk neem tea it tastes, it's great for your liver. It's great for you. It cleans your body out. It tastes, it ta- it, it tastes as bad as it is good for you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, been talking
0: about how the neem plant has, has done some fucked up shit to our taste buds and our noses because I've been simultaneously, mm-hmm. as you've been having your neem tea, I've been using neem oil to treat a pest problem on my plants. And this is the first time I've interacted with it. The oil fucking hell that shit smells like the most rancid garlic you've ever smelled and the smell doesn't go away so i'm guaranteeing
1: you i've actually i've had the stuff in my in tupperware for months on end and that stuff still smells like green tea which is the horrible thing about neat tea it smells deceptive. No, it's, it it's like once the oil is refined
0: out it. of it because it's not unusual. Yeah. Like after I got it and okay. I was like, "What the fuck?" No, every single review, every single person <laughs> I have found who have used neem oil has been like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like, yeah. Or at least every first timer. Like in the in a prime example of like cultural relativism. Like I know there historically it's been used as like a hair and nail support kind of thing like there are people who put this on their bodies and I like accidentally had it touch my hands and like a week later I could still smell it on my hands and be like (laughs) like, it was so bad and I will admit like I have acclimated slightly like I have gotten better because like I the first application was brutal like trying to sleep that first night with that smell in my room uh, oh it was so bad but like when I did the second round application, I was a little better, but it's still not good. But oh, I feel so bad for my poor sister because she's across the hall from me, and oh my God, that poor child is so miserable every time the neem comes out. <laughs> she she suffering. Um, but hopefully, I, I think I think the pests are almost done, so we will hopefully soon be back to a a neem free existence in this house. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean let me just ask how Mm -hmm. do you feel about summer as a whole
0: oh i fucking hate it
1: (laughs) i hate summer right it's it's weird because my wife loves summer right um we go to egypt every once in a while for vacation Mm -hmm. which is like the german equivalent of going to florida right and um and we're and like i i fucking hate summer i it's because like at least in egypt it's dry heat But when, but like when it's, when it's like Cambodia outside, it's like that in New York Mm. too for summer. Mm -hmm. I could, I hate summer with a passion and even last night tried sleeping. I got like two, three hours sleep, go back outside and then, and, and like, I'm just grumpy. I'm like, you know, getting grumpy, going to bed and I was like, what is it? I'm like, I fucking hate summer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, what oh, is I was it? like
0: Yeah, it's disgusting. It's <clears throat> so hot. I my room is constantly like eighty five now, at least, if not higher. <clears throat> I I'm also, of course, unable to sleep without a heavy blanket on me, so I have, like, three fans aimed at me. But also because it's Maine, like, nobody builds air conditioning into any buildings here because summer has always been, like, such a blip in the general ecosystem of the year. Like, it's such a brief thing, and everybody's like, yay, summertime, um, that nobody bothered building air conditioning in anywhere. I, however, am built with an internal furnace that makes summer miserable, and I desperately want one, but also feel like I cannot justify buying an air conditioner for, like, the three weeks of the year where it's insufferably hot, so I just suffer during that time. Um, And then the other delight, again, Maine specifically, is that... um, People are all excited about summertime, but you can't fucking enjoy it because if you go outside, it's bug central. It's all biting insects all the time. I live like right. in the middle of like this swampy area, so there are just mosquitoes and black flies everywhere, and if you think mosquitoes are bad, wait until you find black flies because those suckers are tiny. They look like gnats, but they take a chunk out of your flesh, and you just look down and you're bleeding, and you're like, what happened? Oh, my arm's happen. just going to swell it's magical. up.
1: magical.
0: Yeah, true magic, they're everywhere So you cannot endure the heat You can't, like, you just endure the heat You can't enjoy the heat, you just stay inside Or you go outside and get bitten And then, like, there are the little gnats Who sneak in through window screens I counted the other day, I had 22 bug bites On my left forearm alone From the gnats that sneak in Through my windows at night And bite me while I'm sleeping So yeah, no, I'm not Summer's biggest fan
1: (laughs) I that's what I love because my wife is always like so when do you want to go to Bar Harbor I'm like as soon as the first frost comes mm-hmm, I was like mm-hmm. I want to come when all those bugs are dead and then I just want to walk over them and be like bye guys
0: yeah. god like I treasure enjoying... the first nights of spring where it's like warmed up but then it cools down enough again that the bugs right. die off and I'm like ha <laughs> <Like> it's magical <laughs> like just a day and a half of being bug free and it's no longer happening yeah, actually I just You're talking about New York I just had to go back to New York um, Like in the past week to, to move some stuff out Like I did not want to go back yet But extenuating circumstances As they were I had to go Just pack up my shit And then do Escape from New York Round two The electric boogaloo um, And get all of my shit Out of there uh, But By some miracle Because like I have been in New York In the summertime before And been fucking miserable By some miracle It was cooler in New York Than it was here in Maine For the three days I was there And I was like, thank you, but what's happening? (laughs) Like, I was deeply confused. It was like, cool and cloudy in the mid-70s. And here it's been like 89. (laughs) And I don't understand. But hey, thank you. Thank you, climate. Looking out for me, I guess.
1: What's going to happen is that pressure system is going to come down. And then it's going to come crashing into New York. And then it's going to feel like Cambodia for us. Uh, pretty much from like mid July till mm-hmm. sometimes if we're very unlucky early September. Usually the first week of September is nice.
0: Yeah, there's um, a reason that yeah. I was only planning on being in New York for the winter time in the first place. Anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's understandable. <laughs> yeah, I know well. Yeah, it's I'm somebody that's like, I love Maine. I've never been like married to staying here. I've always been very open to the idea of like moving around, going other places, trying other things. But I'm very attached to only moving to latitudes that are equal or further north to where I am now. Because, God, if I'm any closer to the equator, I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> handle it. Like, I I wilt like a flower in the heat. It's tragic to watch. Like, they're my, my grandparents on my dad's side. They're delightful people who are who love Disney to perhaps an unholy degree. Um, And they, they go routinely and every once in a while they'll, they'll take some of the family members. So like I get to go with them every, every so often. Um, And I think the last, one of the last big trips that I did with them, I was somewhere around 14. I was somewhere in my like mid teens, like I would say before between like 14, 15, like that kind of range. Um, And they had tried to arrange the trip at a different time in the year, but circumstances meant that we had to go in August. So I was in Florida, right near Orlando, in August. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I I, will say I was a trooper, like I'm the kind of person that in a, in a dire situation I will steal myself and get through. But looking back on the photos from that trip, you'll see me, <laughs> s- like, you'll see young me just smiling and having a good time, just Beet red and looking drenched. What? It looks like I have been fried in every single photo. I'm like dis- like disgustingly moist and just crimson in every single photo from the week there. Like I'm like I don't know how I survived. Like they routinely had to take me into air conditioned buildings and be like, Are you okay? And I'm like, Yeah yeah, I'm fine. It's so great. Let's go. Am Kingdom <laughs> like <laughs> I do not those, handle the heat well.
1: For those who enjoy Disney um, or who hate Disney, mm-hmm. uh, I would recommend there is one film that's not doesn't always get as much press as it should. Uh, it's called Escape from Tomorrowland, and it was mm. a movie that was shot um, at Disneyland. It is a horror movie that was shot at Disneyland uh, in Disneyland's own backyard. What? They weren't they weren't supposed to be doing that. Uh, and they, they escaped. yeah, the way that they shot it was such that they knew all the legal loopholes so that they could get away with it scot free. And Disney didn't want to, did, Disney didn't want to give it any press whatsoever. They didn't want to say they were pursuing suit or anything like that mm-hmm. because they didn't want to give it any press whatsoever. Um, it is a brilliant movie. If you do get a chance to watch it, uh, yeah, Escape from Tomorrowland 2013, I'll put the link in the, in the description. Uh, that's also a, a really good one to watch. Uh, it's pretty freaky and out there. It's very noir. <laughs> but, uh, yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I have whatever. Yeah, the thing that I love with all of my friends and family is that if you have something you love, I can more than likely corrupt it, twist it, and terrify it. <laughs> uh, and, and, and this is just how. Like, you know, my wife is also a huge Disney fan. So I was like, oh, we're going to watch Escape from Tomorrowland. <laughs> you <know>. Amen. <laughs>
0: Uh that's that's a, that's a true friend. <laughs> it's just like, hey, you mm. like this thing, let me fuck it up for you. <laughs>
1: right. well, so I <laughs> met one of my best friends as a kid. I I was told not to leave the house, so I did. I went uh two two houses up, uh which was like, you know, for like a 2-year-old, like a mile. And then I I turned right and I found my best friend, uh the person who would become my best friend sitting in his driveway. Uh, piling up sand dunes with little soldiers on it. And I basically walked up to it, sucking my thumb, uh, <laughs> decided it sucked, and I pushed it over, and I was like, hi, I'm Moner, and I gave him a hug. And oh anyway, that's, that's how we became friends. I was like, hi, God. your sand castle sucks. I'm Moner, nice to meet you.
0: Children are fucking fascinating, man. I just, <laughs> The way a child brain works truly flummoxes into mazes. Like, <laughs> Look, like, it's on I'm, the
1: ground. I made it better for you. <laughs> <laughs> you can it's start over like,
0: yeah Maybe there's no no ethics are there time. it's just it's it, there's no impulse control <laughs> and no ethics just chaos <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was really bad as a kid you know so like the important thing is you know everyone just stay safe out there you know it's really great that everybody's out there we're not saying don't protest we're definitely not saying that we're not saying don't march but, unfortunately, that virus, COVID-19, the reason why we're doing our Safe Room episodes is yeah, still out there. just so wear a goddamn mask, please.
0: please. Just everyone. Everyone, just wear the mask.
1: Stay vigilant. Stay strong. Yeah. And uh, yeah. wear a goddamn mask. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Take care of yourselves All right. as best you can. Wear sunscreen while you're at it. Just don't, don't forget that. <laughs> and and uh, do your, you know, take care of yourself. Keep yourself as mentally safe and sound as you can be.
1: And please, re- wear, the right amount, please wear the right amount of protection when you're going out there because um, some masks provide more protection than others, and that's kind of an important thing to know, too. There's yes. a difference between an N100 mask, an N95 mask, and a piece of cloth over your face. They do not have the same level of protection, which is why they do not cost the same thing. So please keep those things in mind as well. And we'll be back in July with uh, our next double feature, which will be Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires and Axis' new favorite movie, Su from 1977.
0: Absolutely. Get ready to hear me lose my shit and have a great time. <laughs> yeah. Take care, everyone. All right. Everyone. Talk to you guys later.
1: Bye.